City University Television presents... The American Theatre Wing Seminars. Working in the theatre. This seminar, Unions and Guilds. American Theatre Wing Seminars on Working in the Theatre. These are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, located in Times Square, the heart of the theatre, where Broadway, Off-Broadway, and Off-Off-Broadway all come together to present the magic and the excitement that only live theatre can bring. From this wonderful pot of talent, which goes out across the country, from the regional theatres, come their very best to enrich and to nourish the Broadway theater and the New York theater. These seminars which the wing is bringing to you has been part of our learning process. The wing is concerned with education, learning, and entertainment all through the theater. We are perhaps best known for the Tony Awards, which is a very high and coveted award, and rightly so. It's not given for the longest run or the best box office smash, but for those who have achieved a degree of excellence in their craft of theater. And the seminars which we bring to you tend to help in achieving that excellence because we bring you a unique behind-the-scenes view of what it is to work in the theater, what it is to work as a performer, a playwright, a director, a composer, a lyricist, a producer, and the set design as well. Today's seminar is focused on the unions and guilds, what they mean, how you work with them, and what you do in the theater because of them. The seminars are just one of the wing's many programs, all of them geared to help the community and to enrich the theater as well. We start with Saturday Theater for Children, which is all the way at the lowest, earliest stage of school children, in their own schools, which they where they line up on Saturday mornings in order to see a live show. And then we go to the other end, which is our newest program. It's a wonderful program called Introduction to Broadway. And there we bring tens of thousands of children to Broadway shows through the cooperation of the New York Board of Education and the wonderful producers who have made tickets available to us so that these students who pay a nominal fee can come to the theater, perhaps see the very first show. And also as a carrot, there is an after-theater discussion with the performers and with the stage manager discussing the various role models that they can achieve by seeing a show. In between, there's our hospital program, and we, be, we bring live theatrical theater to hospitals, nursing homes, and AIDS centers. 
We've been doing this for a very long time, and I think we are perhaps the longest run on Broadway. And I'm very proud of being president of an organization that can bring the kind of talent and the kind of expertise that we do in so many areas. I'm going to get to today's very, very important program. It's a roundtable discussion on the guts behind the glamour. What goes on long before the house lights come down? And stage lights go up in the theater eight times a week, sometimes less, sometimes more, on and off Broadway and throughout the country. The representatives from Actors Equity Association, the Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers, and the Dramatists Guild are all here to help us understand what this is. A few of the points that I think will be raised are with shockingly high numbers of theater professionals unemployed, they are perhaps prey to producers, managers, or other entrepreneurs who just might take advantage of the notion that these artists are so eager to work. It is the theatrical unions and guilds that ensure fair labor practices for the theater artists under their jurisdiction. Joining us today will be co-moderators Henry Gettle, Executive Director of the Theater Development Fund, and Harvey Sabinson, Executive Director of the League of American Theaters and Producers. And they will introduce the panels to you. I'm Isabel Stevenson, President of the American Theater Wing, and thank you for being here, and let's get on with our unions and guilds. I'd like to introduce Ms. Jean Dalrymple a great star of the theater, producer, director, and American Theater Wing Board of Directors member. Jean Dalrymple. She also represents a union. Press agents and managers. Aha, uh -huh. at PAM, press agents and manager. Next, Carolyn Lagerfeld, an actress and former equity council member. Her stage career includes work on and off Broadway and in the country's leading regional theaters. Credits include Broadway's The Real Thing, Betrayal, and Otherwise Engaged. Carolyn Lagerfeld. The last and least is Peter Stone on my left. <laughs> Peter is president of the Dramas Guild. He's a three-time Tony winner and a playwright whose many credits include the current hit Will Rogers' Follies in 1776, Mr. Peter Stone. Uh, before I introduce the panelists on my right, I want to say that I feel privileged to be the co-moderator of such a distinguished group of people, uh, union and craft leaders who are intelligent, articulate, and committed, a condition which I sometimes wish upon them, but I'm sure they wish it upon me as well. Uh, on my extreme right is David Rosenack, the executive director of the Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers. And to his left, Alan Eisenberg, Executive Secretary of Actors' Equity Association, the Union of Professional Actors and Stage Managers in the United States. Uh, we'd like to begin today's discussion uh, by hearing from each of you uh, about how and when your organizations got started, when they were founded and why, and the route or road that brought you to the positions you currently hold with your organizations. David, do you want to start that off? Sure. Uh, 
the Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers uh, was founded in 1959. Uh, and I, upon coming to this job, looked back at some of the original correspondence when that occurred. Uh, Shepard Traub sent letters out to the uh, prominent theater directors of his day and asked them if they would be interested in forming such an organization. And their response was across the board all the same, that they had never ever gotten paid all that they were supposed to have been paid on a production, and they had always had to either sue or threaten to sue to get whatever they did get. So in other words, they were mad as hell and they weren't going to take it anymore. Uh, the organization was, uh, rep was recognized by, the at that time, the uh, League of American Theaters and Producers when Bob Fosse refused to go into rehearsal on the production of Little Me uh, until the, uh, this new union was recognized, and they indeed were recognized at that point and uh, have been serving directors and choreographers ever since. Uh, I came to uh, this position uh, through the theater originally as a stage manager, uh, then as a, as a production manager and uh, as a managing director for a time at the Ensemble Studio Theater. So I, I have experienced the theater uh, as, as one working in the theater, uh, served uh, on, on negotiating teams uh, as a stage manager uh, with Actors' Equity, and, and then as a, as a managing director of a theater, saw what management's problems were. So I, I come to this kind of with an eye on, uh, on the whole spectrum. Uh, well, Equity uh, was formed in uh, 1913. It, it is, of course, the, the oldest of all of the professional arts organizations which represent uh, uh, workers in this industry. It was formed in 1913 for the usual reasons that produce uh, uh, labor unions, and that is uh, workers were being exploited, and actors were being exploited in some very kind of uh, classical ways, being stranded out of town with no way of getting back to New York, Rehearsals were without uh, payment of any kind and continued for great lengths of time. Uh, uh, <coughs> cast could be changed uh, at, at any, any, any particular moment. And uh, those uh, salaries were, of course, very, very low. Uh, actors' uh, re rehearsals went on for weeks and weeks. Actors provided their own costumes and salaries were exceptionally low. So this, this led to actors banding together, which were not recognized uh, by, the, by the managers. And consequently, in 1919, it, the, the actors were compelled to strike. And one of the classic pictures uh, of the, uh, in, the, in, the old, in the old photographs is uh, one of the first companies that went out of a theater was called Lightning. And so the, there was this group of chorus, chorus girls in, a, in an open, open uh, uh, car coming down Broadway with this big sign that said, Lightning has struck. And so, so all, all of Broadway was shut down in 1919. It extended to all the major road, road houses at the time. It expanded to some eight or nine or ten cities. And when the strike ended 30 days later, Actors' Equity was a major player in, in the theatrical uh, uh, endeavors in, in, in this city and became what it, what it has been today, a union of 39,000 people really establishing minimum standards and conditions for professional actors at every level of theater in the United States, whether it's a Broadway house or the smallest uh, little house in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in, in the smallest little city in the United States. <coughs> uh, I, I come into this industry as an outsider, really, 
but uh, with a great passion for the theater as, as an observer growing up in this, in this city and going to the theater uh, all, all the time and just, just loving what the theater was all about. And my background is that of a, uh, a labor lawyer, which I practiced for many, many years. And I felt that I, what I wanted to do was kind of coordinate my interests, my professional interests, with some of my, my personal interests and be able to integrate my own, own life in a way which would be very beneficial to me and hopefully to any organization which I might join. And that led to a search to find something within, within the arts world, and that led to the job at Equity, which I've held since 1981. Well, the Dramatist Guild was formed in the very early 20s by the playwrights of the time, the, uh, the leading playwrights in New York, whose, um, whose lives were complicated by the fact that they were totally unprotected, um, which does not sound totally unlike today. They, uh, however, had their plays bought for $50 by managers, and that was the end of their compensation. Uh, some of the leading playwrights, including Mark Connolly, dear Mark, who served on the Council of the Guild until his death when he was 90, uh, just a relatively few years ago. And the Guild was established as a trade union uh, in the early 20s and established a minimum contract. Uh, in the uh, late 40s and early 50s, it was pointed out through... Uh, uh, some legal actions that uh, playwrights were not, in fact, labor. Uh, since they owned the copyright, uh, they, and they did not sell their work, but leased it to managers, uh, they could not be considered uh, labor. And therefore, they could not enjoy the full protection uh, of, the, um, of labor status, uh, labor union status, and reorganized um, as a guild uh, of playwrights. The producers, however, uh, were uh, clever enough in those days, to uh, uh, recognize that it was far easier uh, to uh, deal with a single organization than deal parapasu with individual playwrights. They recognized that the playwrights they all wanted were going to make very hard deals, and, um, and therefore they accepted uh, the Dramatist Guild uh, as in its uh, role as representative of America's playwrights, authors, composers, and lyricists. Uh, not composers of pop songs, but composers and lyricists of, of uh, musical theater. Um, since that day, uh, the Guild has uh, flourished, and um, its membership has grown. Uh, there are various categories of membership, but we represent some six to 7,000 American playwrights. Um, the uh, more active variety, those who are currently writing for Broadway, Off-Broadway, regional resident, uh, uh, and uh, in those uh, venues uh, probably are several hundred. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> like uh, we once, uh, as people say, in response to the opening question, um, so many members are unemployed. First of all, Dramatist Guild doesn't, cons our members are not unemployed. They are not having their plays done since they don't get employed in the first place. They're not looking for employment. Uh, but uh, we've always, uh, off the record, said that the difference between a guild and a union is that a guild is when 50% or more of its members are unemployed. But the fact <laughs> is that uh, the uh, guild is now broadening very, very uh, strenuously and actively its base. Uh, like the um, uh, League of New York uh, Theaters American. and Producers became the League of American <laughs> Producers and Theaters. He's so edgy, aren't you? 
so the guild has recognized has recognized that our membership is no longer parochial. It is no longer uh, geographically centered around New York City, but with the, the proliferation of of, uh, of theaters throughout the country, that the important plays are originally being done. If if they're ever being done anywhere else, they're being done in Seattle and in Louisville and in Minneapolis and in San Diego and uh, New Haven and everywhere around the country. So the Dramatist Guild is uh, reorganizing itself to satisfy those needs, uh, to represent more fully and more completely uh, our membership throughout the country and with the problems, the new problems, which have arisen as a result of the new kinds of theater and the new kinds of uh, financial uh, organization of the theater uh, to meet those, uh, to help them meet those problems. I've been uh, president for 11 years, uh, mostly because no one else wants to do it. Uh, and, uh, but um, the, I, I enjoy it very, very much. I enjoy the advocacy. I enjoy the, the, the very friendly rivalries with, with the producers and even at times with the other unions. The needs, we'll get into this, I'm sure, the needs of the various unions and guilds are quite different and uh, their um, prognosis of the future is quite different. So, um, but I've enjoyed it very much and I'll stay on there uh, until um, I either um, am voted out or, uh, or can't bear it anymore. Then you can be president of the wing. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> Well, I'm Karen Lagerfeld. I'm a working actress for over 15 years. I've worked both non-union and union, and believe me, union is better. I started off working non-union after I graduated from acting school, which is usually the way you start. I toured down in Mississippi and North Carolina and New Mexico doing what was called non-union dinner theater, which involved your own costumes, $50 a week, and you served the food first. You had half an hour to rush off, get showered, wipe the grease off, and then you came back and did your play, something along the lines of Cactus Flower or, you know, some lighter comedy. And then you had to line up afterwards and shake hands with all the patrons who would comment on whether they thought you were enjoyable or not. And then we had what was called, I can't really say, but it was, well, I was like, attack the tables. And we'd all rush to our section of tables and scrape up the tips, which were left for us. And that's how we made most of our salary, apart from the $15. And that was, um, I mean, it was fun and I learned a lot, but it wasn't really a way to continue for the rest of your life. And of course, you worked without a contract under the whims of the various producers in these small little theaters. Um, then I began working, you know, union theater. And uh, the governing, the people who govern actors' equity um, are not wonderful, high-paid labor lawyers such as Alan, but are the working actors who comprise the council. And I was, uh, every show, Broadway, off-Broadway show, has a deputy, which is a sort of liaison between the union, the producers, and the actors. If the actors have a problem, they come to the deputy, the de deputy looks up the rule book. And if there's a problem, they then call the union, who will advise the deputy on what to do. The deputy actually doesn't ever deal directly with the producers. And I was deputy on most of my shows. Um, I was never afraid to advocate for the, my fellow actors. And um, at one point, I was invited by Actors' Equity to serve um, out a term on council. Somebody had, had to resign. And so I joined council for two years, and I found it terrific. I mean, there were all these other actors. It's an unpaid job. You meet every week for most of Tuesday. I mean, it's a long... Now every other Tuesday. Every other Tuesday, okay. <laughs> and um, you put in a lot of hours. Um, and you sit there, and you deal with the problems of working actors in all the different forms. And I enjoyed it. The uh, discussions could get very heated at times. But it, all the discussions and all the heatedness came out of caring. 
and you had, uh, so it was mostly stage managers, chorus members, and actors. Um, apart from what Alan said, the union also now has expanded into many different areas. We have many committees that appeal to our specific interests. There are committees on performers with disabilities, on ethnic minorities. We also perform, I think, Actors' Equity performs a vast sort of educational um, function now. We educate both people within our own union who are not aware of how we can help them, people outside the union. We bring up discussions that Ms. Saigon story brought up a huge discussion on the employment of Asian Americans, which was covered by all the papers, and whatever you thought whether the union was right or wrong, it certainly kicked some life and some realities into that discussion. Um, also, we have a wonderful committee, for example, um, I'm just throwing out some of the things that as an actor I found interesting, that some of our um, older members, as we get older, jobs are harder to find for men and particularly for women, and there's a committee that works re-educating, this has been a fantastic help to some of my older girlfriends in their 60s and 70s, re-educating their often considerable talents into money-producing venues. One of my girlfriends who is finding it almost impossible to get jobs, she now coaches at a school that uh, teaches young people how to perform in commercials, and she used to perform in commercials. She brings an enormous work experience, and there are ages of no barrier, and that's a very vital committee we have. So. Um, I then resigned that's a from very council. Good picture of, mm -hmm. uh, that's a very good picture of how a union should work. Exactly. And, I mean, to uh, actually it's help. Nice them. to hear that it does. In yes. That part. And Do then you, I resigned from does council. Does that sound like anything you know? Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. and I can't follow her. <laughs> that's like, no, I mean, it's wonderful. I just enjoyed it so much. I joined the union in 1936. That was the Association of Press Agents and Managers. And I'm still a member. And uh, that was formed for the same reason. I remember that I got $50 a week when I went to work for John Golden, who was a very, very important um, producer and often had four and five plays, all of which I handled for the same $50 a week. But I enjoyed it so much that when I left him, I opened my own publicity office and began to produce so I thank Atpan. I would be remiss in, in, in not mentioning the power, the seat of power of the Romanus Guild that resides as it does in the other organizations in a council, that the council members are elected by the general membership. Uh, there are between 30 and 40. We're in the process of expanding a little the council, uh, the council at the present time to uh, include a lot of the newer playwrights uh, since that's the direction we're going. But the council consists of... Uh, of uh, it's very uh, it, the newer playwrights are, are on it. Uh, uh, David Wong and and uh, George Wolfe and uh, Durang and Wasserstein and uh, uh, Lanford Wilson all the way up to our elder members. Um, a lot of musical people uh, are on it in proportion to uh, the, the presidents have been elected from council. They're easy to remember because they're all teams. Kaufman and Hart were both uh, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein were both presidents. Uh, and uh, Lindsay and Krause were both president. Sondheim was the last president uh, before me. And all of these people served. When I first came in, there was, it was a very daunting uh, a council to look at uh, for a very young... I joined the council uh, quite some time ago. And there were uh, from Arthur Miller and Tennessee Williams. And, and, uh, what does it take to be a member of the Dramatist Guild? Of the Guild? Mm -hmm. Well, you must have written a play and had it performed. Mm -hmm. uh, and that be, you become, through that, an associate member. Hmm? Have it performed on Broadway? No, it doesn't matter where it's performed. It does not matter where it was so performed. Long before. You become an associate member of the guild, entitled to a number of uh, of uh, the guild uh, 
uh, advantages. First of all, we have a, a major publication. The Dominic School Quarterly is one of the finest, except no advertising. It's a, it's a very, very uh, substantial and prestigious uh, uh, publication, which goes out to the entire country, to all college, school libraries, uh, and to the membership and to anyone else um, who's uh, interested. It covers Broadway and off-Broadway and regional theater, uh, almost complete, and off-off-Broadway, all theater, very, very, it, uh, completely. It carries uh, articles, by, it carries some of our symposia. We do a number of symposia around the country. Um, it, it's a wonderful publication. Really. Yes, but and, when, you and, are, uh, when you become a member, then two you, you You, you uh, apply. You apply. We have an 800 number, of course, for our membership now, and you apply for that. And I sound like Jerry Brown. Uh, but uh, the, only, the only difference is that, uh, that I'm president, he's not, and that I'm not giving the number. But the fact is, uh, the fact is that, that we, uh, you apply, uh, yes. there's an application. And, and, they, you, and then do you pay for your membership? You, indeed you do. Oh, you, there's a yearly, very, very minimal yearly, it's like $75 or something, for right. yearly right. membership. And uh, what does that give you? That gives you full access to the to the guild through advice. Through you can submit your your any contracts, any questions, any anything you want to know. You get the publications. You can get to attend symposia around um, uh, where in your area, or when you come to New York, you have full use of the facilities, which are quite um, uh, lavish since uh, our uh, offices uh, used to be uh, the residence of J.J. Uh, Schubert. Uh, so uh, it's very lavish because it, only a producer could have afforded to live like that. Right. And, uh, and uh, uh, so uh, it, you get quite a number of uh, advantages, and not the least of which is to say that you're a member of the Dramatist Guild. I was a member also of that in, in the 30s. It's when you say that you've recognized it and you've extended to uh, regional theater and, and to other theaters, what way does that mean? Do we well, we've, we've created a contract. Uh, a regional minimum contract um, that uh, is now being uh, it, it was met with a certain amount of uh, hostility by the uh, by the uh, uh, regional theaters until they understood what it was and that it was not it was not particularly menacing in fact it was uh, it encompassed a great many of the things that they were doing and now there's a great uh, uh, quite cooperative friendly uh, uh, can you explain a little bit more fully about what well, one must understand that the contract in regional theaters, I'm not going to get technical about it, but to, one of the things that is the most important, and why we're not technically a union, is that by owning copyright, as opposed to writers who sell their work to Hollywood or television or anywhere else, you own the copyright. It's your work. And what that means is that no one can change a word, add a word, delete a word of your text without your approval. And that is the core and, and basis uh, of entire membership and pride in authorship of, of a dramatist. And because if you want to if you want to make bucks immediately don't you know go straight to Hollywood don't pass go and and uh, and get your money laid and they will do anything they want to your play. They'll lay out the money yeah. and they own it. They can change it. Anybody can do anything they want with it. So that 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 proprietary instinct and and uh, demand mm -hmm. is the principal thing. You can get playwright to give up his money. You can't get him to give up that. Also is his right to approve of the cast, the director, and various other, the designing elements of the play, and so forth. Those are very important. And in dealing with the regional theaters, there was no money dispute. The money paid by regional theaters, uh, uh, or resident theaters, depending on the classification, 
uh, was pr fairly standard, and, and we didn't have any money argument with him. It had to do with some of the more arcane things, uh, things right. that's about approvals, mm -hmm. uh, approval of caste. Uh, certain uh, other things. Is that a stumbling block? Uh, could that be a stumbling well, block? Well, a lot of the regional theaters had acted so, uh, uh, you know, independently, and they had their own organizations, and they liked making those decisions, and it had to be uh, uh, pointed out to them that authors uh, like to share in those decisions. Uh, they don't. They don't want sole. Uh, well, some some of the actors are on seasonal contracts uh, for the for the year at some of these theaters, and so that would at regional theaters. Yes, yeah, so, uh -huh. so that would re represent a collision of interests. Not uh, really, because what we did was very clearly when there is a resident cast, the approvals went to that resident resident cast. We didn't go outside that. If a theater says we have a resident cast and that those are the actors that we are going to be using for your play, the playwright says fine. I want approval of the actors within that resident cast. Uh, because it's not a finite pool, it is a larger pool. And so those accommodations were all uh, very simple to make. Peter, wouldn't you say that, that one of the, the, the major problems was that the, the resident theaters simply didn't want to deal with another organization, which is something that, that we find quite often in, in dealing with, with theaters that we've not been affiliated with, that there is a, a resistance to, to deal with a union or with a guild uh, even though you may not be asking for uh, for things much beyond that which they're already doing, and I, I think there's, there's a it, it's a perception problem uh, that somehow the the union or the guild is uh, is going to be evil and onerous in some way. When in, in, in fact, what we're seeking to do is to is to establish standards and and to uh, to help the profession indeed be a profession. How do people uh, join the Society of Directors and Choreographers? Uh, they must have uh, directing experience uh, in, in having directed uh, at least one professional production, not necessarily under one of our contracts. It could be uh, uh, an equity uh, production in, in a small theater where we don't have an agreement. Uh, it, it could be uh, an after or, or a SAG production, in fact. It could be out of the city, though. I mean, oh, indeed. Anywhere in yes. the country, yeah. Yes. When you say after, you mean a television director would be qualified if he if it was a commercial production on television? Yes. Actually, this is relatively new because we've just changed our bylaws uh, to to allow that, and we did so because we are now in the process of representing our choreographer members in film and television where where they have not been uh, represented previously. Really, interesting. And how does one become a member of Equity, which I have been since 1949? Oh, good. Keep it up, too. It's all, it's all sentiment, of course. I'm a member, but they have never given me my card. Oh, well, I'm, well, I'm going to check the rules when I get okay. back this Okay, afternoon. you keep saying that every year. <laughs> well, so, you know, just, just from coming back to, to, to Caroline's comment, you know, there are minimum standards, and, and that's really what equity is about also. We could organize a lot more dinner theaters, so to speak, in this country if we were to permit equity members uh, to wait on tables, which is common, at, at, which is still common, at many dinner theaters in this country. I mean, all the dinner theaters largely in the Washington, D.C. area are non-union because we have not been able to reach an accommodation over this particular issue of, uh, of uh, waiting on tables, also smoking during a performance or drinking during a performance, n none of which would be permitted at an equity dinner theater. And th that's an example of, of a kind of standard, which is the minimum condition if you're going to be a work in a professional environment in, in this country. You join equity if, um, if you get a job. That's, that's the basic way 
Uh, you join if, if if you get a job at a, at a at a theater which is using an equity contract, you become an, an equity member, which is largely the way that uh, you you obtain membership. You can also obtain membership if you've been a member of uh, Screen Actors Guild or uh, or after any other the other performing arts unions such as the American Guild of M Musical Artists, and you have been a member of that union for a certain period of time, and you have worked under. Um, uh, that union's contract as a pr principal performer, which is really a word of jargon uh, within the industry, and then you are entitled to come over to equity and purchase a card if you have a certain kind of professional criteria. What do you mean by purchase a card? Uh, jo join the union just by, by paying the initiation fee. I see. If you've been a member of another performing arts union. The, mm -hmm. member, the initiation fee currently is $800. There are annual dues of $78. And if you work, you pay what are called working dues, which is 2% of your salary. And there's a Yearly salary or current salary? Only when, the 2% is paid only when you work. Mm -hmm. It's the same in the Dramatist Guild. The only time you pay anything more than your yearly dues of $75. Uh, has it gone up recently? I don't think. Well, maybe. I doubt it. I think that's what you do. What about you? Uh, the only time you pay it more is when you have a play on Broadway, off-Broadway, or uh, Broadway, basically is when you pay uh, uh, dues on your royalties from Broadway or touring first-class production. There's a third How way to join as well. Uh, Three percent of your, of, your, of your royalty. Working writers pay the bulk of the expenses of the, uh, of the guild. Alan? Yeah, thank you. Uh, there's a, there is a third way to join, which is actually an, an interesting way, which is the membership candidate program, which is a young person normally uh, working at a theater uh, not under an equity contract, but uh, acting, stage managing, uh, doing some work backstage, learning all the different aspects of the theater. And you, if, you, if you have paid a filing fee with, with the association, uh, once you've accumulated 40 or 50 weeks of work over a period of time as a membership candidate, you are then entitled to join the association. So that, that's the third way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Carolyn has talked. That's fairly new. I mean, well, it's been around for, speaking, for about ten years. Yes, yeah, so a bit longer. But you know, the, the, this, the, the concept was that this was an apprenticeship mechanism by which you could learn the craft, learn the industry, and join. I don't think it's been altogether successful. It's another form of actors not earning very much money. Is really how I think it's worked out, unfortunately. But it is the third method of joining. What we hear on these seminars all the time is almost like a catch twenty-two. Because in order to join, to be eligible, you have to have worked, and you can't work unless you have you are a member. Well, I don't and think so this does sound like a, no. a way well. There's to too many members to make that uh, right. <laughs> to make that very binding. Uh, there are all these people who have become members, so they must be a way in. Yeah, we we take in some two thousand. I mean, to some extent, it's a cat twenty-two in the sense that if you're an equity member, that gives you a certain credential, to be sure, and and we like that. By the same token, uh, and as Peter suggests, I mean, we do take in 2,000 people a year. And when he auditions yes. for Will Rogers, I mean, he's going to be trying to find the best available talent. And if that best available talent includes nine equity people, which it does all the time, which is how we take in all, all these people, he'll hire that man or woman. And yeah. that man or woman will then become an equity Every, every show auditions has what's called an open call. That is a non-equity call. For, for actors or uh, uh, dancers or... How did that come or, about, Peter? When, did, when was that established? That well, it's, been, it's, it's always been around. Always I mean, been the, the law compels The it. law compels you. The, otherwise, it's a closed shop. Right. And, so, and uh, so instead of a union shop, which is quite a different situation. Yeah. And therefore, we must, they must, we must, by law, have an open call. 
And uh, it's, a, it's remarkable how much talent comes from an open call. Certainly nowhere near the percentage it comes from uh, the equity call, but, but still uh, a, a surprising number mm -hmm. of... of uh, That's how I got my equity call. I was auditioning for a Broadway show, getting the job, an and they call. made me an equity well, member. How long ago was that, Carolyn? That was um, the philanthropist about mm -hmm. 15 years yeah. ago. That's mm -hmm. right. Well, well How does it, that it apply be, to yours here? Well, it should be noted, I think, in, in all of our cases that... Uh, we're, we're here to protect our own particular profession within an industry, uh, which means that whether one is a member or not, uh, they're going to enjoy the protections of, of our contract. If the employer hires them, and the employer has the right to hire whoever they wish, uh, they've agreed that the, our contract is going to apply to those people. Our guild uh, services, member or no member, if you, if you have a letter of agreement from an off-off-Broadway uh, or showcase production, what they call in California, an equity show, what, waiver, equity waiver theater, a one-letter agreement. We say, look, this the Dramatist Guild is there. We have attorneys, we have people who who read contracts. Send it in. Call up and ask about it. Uh, it it's about protecting playwrights, whether they're members or not members. <coughs> you do not have to be a member of the Dramatist Guild. Uh, to have a play on Broadway, and you don't have to join the Dramatist Guild once you have a play on Broadway. Uh, it, is perp it, is, it is voluntary. There have been very, very few who have not. Uh, and uh, and uh, really, you could count them uh, on, the, on the fingers of one hand. Uh, but nevertheless, it is not uh, obligatory, unlike the other uh, Actors' unions. equity is obligatory, and that's being challenged. And I think that was sort of, that was sort of well, interesting, well, what we went through recently. Yes, but, but still, you know, to, to be an equity actor is, is a certain kind of statement that you're a professional actor in, in this country. And though there are some very specific situations where, where you don't have, have to join in a so-called right-to-work right state, I mean, uh, we, we don't have trouble taking in members. Uh, taking in members is not our problem. Our problem is uh, not enough work, for example, and uh, that's a large issue in this union. I think it's a large issue in this country. Could there be more country. leeway because there isn't enough work? Could you be, give them a little bit more elasticity? Of leeway doesn't create work. Yes, well. exactly. That's yeah. the problem. Mm -hmm. that, leeway, the leeway about what? I mean, a leeway about what? Work, work, wages or working conditions? Wages. Mostly. Well, I, I don't. Th yes, I, I, I thought you might suggest that. Uh, I don't think. I don't think wages is really the issue in in, in the American theater. You, you take a Broadway play, and uh, you, you go into production having spent three or four million dollars before the, before your first performance. Now, practically none of that money is salaries to actors. You spent the money on advertising. You have spent the money on costumes. You have spent the money on. Uh, on, on, on staging. You haven't spent anything for Broadway actors. Broadway actors work for minimum, including stars, at, during the rehearsal period. It's very important to say also, it doesn't go to playwrights either. Playwrights I, receive a, an advance. Well, it doesn't go, to, doesn't go to producers either because no. nothing is coming in at the bottom. That's correct. <laughs> no, that's There's correct. a big mystery here. No, it's not a mystery. Not a mystery. It's, not, it's no mystery at all. Harvey. It, uh, it, should, it, should, it, should it should be pointed out that... It's going to the New York Times for the big ads. Yes, that's one, one yeah. place it's going. It should it be pointed out that there hasn't been a work stoppage in the theater since 1975. 1975, when musicians struck and only the musicals were closed. One could argue... With Actors' Equity since 1960. But to go back, an interesting aside is that the great adversary of Actors' Equity was George M. Cohan, who yes. was an actor, manager, director, writer, uh, lyricist, composer. And probably the reason he was opposed to unionism 
was because he'd have to pay so much dues to all these unions. <laughs> it might be but now there's a statue erected to him in Berkeley yeah, Square. It might be ironed, however, that, uh, that the absence of strikes on Broadway uh, has been, uh, can be discussed from two different sides. Uh, no one wants a strike. No one likes a strike. When the theater shuts down, the city of New York is the loser. Hotels, restaurants, taxis, parking garages, everything. The city suffers an enormous uh, revenue loss when the theater has been shut down. Right. No one wants the theater shut down at <clears throat> all. But you have a situation where the producers' organization is, uh, uh, more, is, is very powerfully uh, comprised, not only of producers, but of theater owners. And uh, people of real estate have uh, an even stronger aversion to uh, Broadway being shut down. And it could be argued that uh, while inflation uh, has uh, driven up prices um, uh, uh, during, during the period that the cost of theater has gone up two and a half times inflation in, in the past uh, 30, uh, 25 years, and that two and a half times inflation has a lot to do with signing off to unions uh, in the theater, uh, perhaps uh, not, not standing up to some of the unions as strongly as they might. And as a result, you have now a runaway cost situation, which is making a Broadway uh, production uh, inordinately high and very, very difficult uh, to raise the money. One of the great problems is not a diminishing of talent, but a diminishing of money uh, in order to produce shows. And that makes all of us suffer. And uh, as uh, Alan has correctly said, it hasn't been going to, uh, to uh, actors particularly uh, any more than to, uh, and than to directors or authors. There are 19 other unions, though. The, the, the average salary for equity members in the United States is $10,000 per year. And the median salary for actors within equity jurisdiction is $5,000 a year. Median, of course, it means half the people have earned but, more than 5000 and half have earned less. And, and the average earning is really only 10000 That That reflects you know, our, our share. I mean, t to be sure, if you're working in a Broadway play and you're working 52 weeks a year, you're earning no less than $925 yeah, but Alan, do your, do your statistics reflect an actor, for example, who calls an equity card like Robert Redford, who has an no, enormous logic. No, no, but see, no, he's not. But talking about people who are just uh, working right, in theater. Average, I mean, I'm not talking about the number of people who are working because those figures are subject to your comment that Redford is not working in the theater and therefore to classify him as unemployed is not quite accurate. I'm just saying those, those people who work, approximately 15,000 people per year in equity work. Now there are also members of other unions and they may be working in, in other unions and the, but the, the figures in the other unions are equally the same. The average earnings in Screen Actors Guild and the average earnings in AFTRA are basically the same figures. What is Av minimum? What is minimum? At what level? On, on, Broadway. on Broadway, the minimum salary is $925 is, per week. Is that a speaking? Minimum. Minimum. Plus benefits. Plus benefits. A minimum salary, minimum salary at the smallest level of theater in the United States, <coughs> I'm embarrassed to say, is $100. So the range of the range of earnings in, in, in this country are at minimum are one hundred dollars plus plus benefits. We did strike in nineteen sixty, which is really not so long ago. We had a strike in nineteen sixty in order to get a pension and health plan in this country, which is not really so long ago. The fact that you had a strike in nineteen sixty represents a certain kind of attitude and point of view. And also Peter's correct in terms of how important it is for the city because the mayor's office 
mayor's office uh, participated in resolving that strike so that the unions, and it was, wasn't, as it turned out, it was not only applicable to equity, but it was applicable to everybody, the unions were able to get a pension and, and health program. And certainly during the Miss Saigon issue, I was consistently getting calls from the mayor's office because they wanted that play to come in for the obvious reasons as to what it would mean for the city. But the salary ranges from $100 to $925, Isabel. Now, that, that is not a living wage. The regional theater movement, which is, many people say, uh, which produces the most work for equity actors in this country, the salary, depending on the classification, ranges from approximately $425 to $525. And if you're going out of town as an actor, you've got to pay housing costs, you're keeping your apartment in New York, and so on and so forth. That is not a living wage well, in this country. The most country. important point in your favor is that it's not a living wage if you factor into that how little acting work is 52 weeks a year. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's, that's the whole That's point. the next point. That's the that, whole that's point. That's the $900 point. a week is a wonderful salary. I would salary. have made that point. You would have? <laughs> Good. Then make, in the Dramatist Guild, we have a, a sampler on our wall, which, is, which was uh, uh, embroidered by Robert Anderson, who made the statement that, that the theater, for a playwright, the theater is a place where you can make a killing, but you can't make a living. Right. And, and, and to a playwright, it's very true. Um, you, you can expect, if you are very fortunate, to get one hit in your life. And that hit is, uh, is your pension plan. Our subsidiary right participation in stock and amateur, Garson Kanan, if he never did another thing in his life, never had done or ever will do, anything else but born yesterday, will live the rest of his life very handsomely of born yesterday. Not because we have a pension plan, not because there's any, uh, there's any uh, benefits, but because that play is being done in three, four, five hundred productions a year, someplace in the world, and that money accrues to him. that the benefits are one of the most important parts well, no of question unions of that. and guilds. But yeah. one of the things about minimums is very important. These are minimum contracts that we're talking about. Our membership is free to do whatever they want. The unique thing about in the Dramatist Guild contract is, and that's one of the reasons the producers have been so willing to honor it and to continue to deal with it, is that while it is our minimum contract, our playwrights have traditionally always taken minimum. Now, the producers have a, get, get furious when we discuss this point because they say, no, you're not taking minimum, you're taking minimum. No, we have a minimum royalty. And Arthur Miller and, and, and Neil Simon take the same royalty as a first-time playwright on Broadway. It's considered fair, it's considered adequate, and they can live on it. Plus the fact that in the theater, unlike novels, where Sidney Sheldon writes a book or... Um, any of the other, uh, uh, you know, Daniel Steele writes a book, and before it's written, it's number one on the bestseller list. That doesn't happen in the theater. Tennessee Williams' next play was a flop. His next eight plays were a flop. Neil Simon, the most successful playwright in the language, had a play close after opening night, after, after one of his biggest hits. There is no loyalty to authors in the theater. It is only to plays. Arthur Miller, after, the, after three of the most enormous... Uh, literary efforts in the American theater, one, his plays could just as easily close the next day after they open. So what we keep telling the producers is, you're not paying a new playwright Arthur Miller's uh, money, you are, playing, you are paying Arthur Miller a new playwright's money because it's the play, not the author. Who sells tickets? Does that apply to your directors? Does that apply to your union? Well, the directors and, and choreographers are uh, generally, on, on Broadway uh, anyway, are, are not receiving any of the subsidiary uh, monies that, that might come to the production. And it's, uh, it's a sore point for us right now because mm -hmm. 
In, indeed, the economics of the industry have caused all of us to make some accommodations. Uh, recently, uh, we agreed to a, a royalty pool structure uh, in, in the Broadway arena, which simply means that rather than, than the director receiving a, a percentage of gross box office revenue, we've agreed to, to take a, 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 that percentage of, of a pool of profits that might occur each week, and that if, if there are no profits, we'll, we'll settle for a uh, a relatively uh, small guarantee each week. But what that means is that the director has worked uh, sometimes uh, f for, for a year in advance of the production, uh, in developing the production, uh, and, and then is, is not going to receive anything on, on the back end. And uh, this, this notion of, of a living wage is, is one that uh, is very important for us and very hard to drive home. In our last negotiation with uh, with the League of, of Resident Theaters, um, we pointed out that there had to be some kind of collective responsibility for ensuring that there was a living wage for directors and choreographers. Not for ensuring that they got work, but let's assume for a moment that if one rehearses for four or five weeks and has done at least four or five weeks of pre-production, that one can't do more than five productions a year, five major productions, so that in, in thinking in those terms, a Lort Theater should think of itself as being responsible for one-fifth of a director's annual earnings. Uh, mm -hmm. The argument has always been, well, we only see that person here for five weeks, so we're only responsible for five weeks of, of earnings. But indeed, if, if you want artists in the American theater to continue to be able to be artists in the American theater, you've got to find a way of ensuring that they get a living wage. Uh, otherwise, we're in effect, we're committing economic censorship on ourselves because we're, we're not allowing artists to be a part of the community that we're asking them to reflect and challenge, and then the community is not going to be interested in the art. So it, it's, a, it's a, a large problem that we all have it's to a, approach. It's a very difficult problem because being a devil's advocate, I really want to work, or on the other end, uh, I have a resident theater, and I can only afford to pay for work being done at that particular week, not for the overall. So I think that... Uh, I, I would agree with that if, if I saw that the resident theater was, was treating their own staffs accordingly. Absolutely. But we've seen such Thank a disparity in how particularly the leadership positions in these theaters are compensated and the whole administrative heavy. structure that's been created. Yes. Absolutely top-heavy at the Guthrie. Sorry, go ahead. If I could make another point along these lines, I mean, Peter, Peter mentioned about, about minimum salaries. Let's assume you're a very successful actor. So the, the average number of weeks an actor works in this, in, in this union is about 12. So let's assume you're working 20 weeks a year at, the, at, at these theaters. And let's assume instead of earning minimum salary of about $500 a week, you're really a, a demanded actor. They very, very much want you, rather. And so you're earning $800 a week. And we see these facts, we see these figures parenthetically because one of the services that the association provides is we have a volunteer tax assistance program in which actors' tax, tax returns are, are, uh, are, are prepared, and it's, which is very complicated if you've got 19 different employees and, and so on and so forth. So you've worked 20 weeks a year, and you've earned $800 a week, let's say. You've earned a crummy $16,000 for the year, and that's a successful actor. That is a successful actor. And so I think what this, what this country's got to understand and what these theaters have got to understand is that, in my view, if art has a central place in this, in this country, 
which I think it does, and everybody here I think thinks, thinks it does, then, there, then there's a responsibility to pay artists, whether they be writers or directors or choreographers or dancers or actors, something approaching a wage which is res respectable. And if I, if I could just make one, one other point in terms of standards. You know, these last, just, just so people can understand, just to, during these last Broadway negotiations, one of the, the, some of the issues dealt with just simply working conditions. I mean, you go to the Broadway's theater now and you'd see fog coming into, into the audience almost every night you go to the theater. <laughs> What's in that fog? Is it carcinogenic? I mean, that's just a question. I'm not suggesting it is, but all I'm trying to say is that we've had Please meetings... Please don't. We're having no, it's not. getting audience. No, but I'm, no, it isn't. But what I'm trying to say is that we had enormous conversations about what goes into the fog or the nature of a rake stage, the, the injury and damage that can come to a performer. And these are all part of what goes into making a play and, and, and has to do with establishing standards. Yeah, because management really is responsible for the safety and health of its employees. So I think that's a joint consideration. Yeah, well, absolutely. That's suggesting that we're well, constantly well. dealing with and constantly investigating. Uh, Heat, cold, well, and what is your rule? What but, is the rule? In, in but those fogs come from another union. <laughs> <laughs> the fogging Harvey. But you know, there's, no, there's, I a, like but there's, a, there's another point that hasn't been mentioned, and it's one of the tragedies of American theater. And it, deal, it affects actors and, and directors a great deal. And that is their opportunity for, for alternate employment. In England, in France, the center of motion picture television and theater is, resides in the same city. Uh, it's very easy for an actor to work uh, daytime uh, on a film or on television, and still do the theater in the evening, and most of them do. In this country, those centers are 3,000 miles apart. It's a tragedy in two ways. One is that the leading actors, the actors who get discovered, the Brandos, the Streisands, whatever, they move to California, where they, where they are being paid five, eight, ten, twelve million dollars a picture, and they reside out there. Their children are born there, their children are school there, their lives are there. They don't come back to the theater. Uh, actors, as soon as they get a chance, are, uh, and directors, are called out there, because still, the big, one of the biggest pools of talent for the film and television is here. And they get called out there, and that's where they go. If New York were a larger center of television, which it, it is, but there was a big article recently about the fact that they are now simulating New York in Hollywood. The Times had it a couple of days ago. The fact is that if actors, if your equity actors could have more work alternatives, Correct. the theater would be a much healthier place. And that's hurt the American theater, having lost its talent Henry's pool. been trying to say Well, that. just because the Broadway Alliance, uh, I think, should be brought up here. And Very important. Uh, the, Wonderful thing about it is that Alan is one of the heroes of the Broadway Alliance. Certainly, you want to explain the what he is? Broadway Alliance. Uh, Why don't you let the chairman of the Broadway Alliance explain it, Hank? I don't want to take the floor away from you. Oh, please but do. But, but David is the chairman. I think it's important. Alan to be was. But now, but now in fact, I, Alan is a past chairman. This is uh, the Dave, opposite of everything Peter you've heard so far. Which is I why enough, we're all members of this uh, of this organization. Well, I'm, I'm having to explain it and. I think it, it is indicative Sorry. of the kind of, of attitude that, that the unions and the guilds take in general because uh, we, we do an awful lot to encourage production, to encourage relationships with, with, uh, with smaller theaters. For instance, uh, Actors' Equity has a whole developing theaters department and have, has had that for some time and has worked with theaters. But the Broadway Alliance uh, is an organization that was formed uh, in New York of all of the organizations that, that work on Broadway and the producers out of a concern of the, the lack of, of straight plays being produced on Broadway and the, uh, the desire to create a 
a, a production plan that would encourage more plays on Broadway and at the same time encourage more audience to come to see those plays. And all of the unions involved uh, came to the table and agreed uh, on, uh, on reductions in, in compensation or changes in, in work rules to make it possible for a producer to capitalize a, a straight play for far less money than would otherwise be possible, and indeed to, to reduce the, the weekly running cost of, uh, of the play as well. At the same time, a, a big consideration in that plan was, was a, a, a curtailment on, on what the, the permissible ticket price would be, so that we could get the ticket prices lower, so that that would encourage the audience to come. Um, I think it, it's no secret that we've, the plan hasn't worked as well as we all had wished it to, and, and in, we've made some changes in it already, and we're considering some other changes now. But the, the basic concept is that we're going to come together and, and we're going to find ways uh, to encourage uh, straight plays to be produced on Broadway and to find ways of encouraging the audience to come. With it's a cut it's all the way down. It's important to say that it's the first time in memory that every single guild and union connected to the theater has sat down and agreed to do and something. And the producers as well. And, uh, yes, producers with the, with well. the producers, uh, whose idea initially it was. And every single group, not one union, not one guild, not one uh, organization connected with labor and uh, activity on, on, on Broadway has uh, withheld support uh, of this. Uh, not, I think Broadway Cares is the only other organization that has, that has gotten all these groups together. And so I think that will be equity for us. What about TDF? I think yes, you did. Yes, I was doing TDF short did that as well. Uh, which is We've got to get Billing in. So the fact is that it is obviously We're the desire of everybody to come back to this, to this Peter, because this is very important on how the unions work together. And is there any place where they don't work together? That's equally as important as well. But we're, we're going to take a break yeah, right yeah, now. Everybody take a deep breath. Don't go away. Stand up. Turn around and then we'll go right back again with this and many more questions. Okay? Oh. You can just stand up. Um, I, I didn't, I would like to say something about our mission. This is CUNY TV. Channel 75. We're continuing the American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theatre, which are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, which is located in New York City, the heart of Times Square. On this seminar, we're discussing the role of the unions and the guilds in the theatre, what they do, how they do it, what they do for their members, and why they do it. Co-chairing it will, is Harvey Saberson, who is executive director of the League of American Theaters and Producers, and Henry Ghetto, who is president of TDF, as is affectionately known. And they will continue with our distinguished panel. Hen would you, Henry or Harvey? Which one goes Harvey. first? Uh, let's talk a little bit about the governance, internal governance of the unions. David, would you like right. to comment on sure. that? Um, I, I would like to uh, do my own commercial briefly here because everybody else got a chance to, in, to inform people as well. Our, our initiation fee is $1,000, uh, and annual dues are $125. Uh, 
there there is a uh, an assessment on on earnings of uh, two and a half percent beyond that, and we've we have a new program that's about uh, two years old now, an associate program that allows people to join uh, who may be uh, students in MFA programs, early career directors, uh, college university professors who are teaching the profession. The idea is to uh, for us to reach out and to to inform uh, the larger community and to uh, uh, to, for us to, to learn the needs of younger directors and to educate them so that at the point that they become members of the union, they're better members of the union. That's a $250 initiation fee, and the annual dues for that are $50. If one joins as an associate and then later wants to join as a full member, that $250 is fully creditable towards the, uh, the $1,000 initiation fee. Uh, our union, like the others, uh, is governed by the membership. I I'm an employee uh, of the membership. Uh, the membership elects an executive board and, uh, and officers. Our president is Gene Sachs. Uh, Mr. Sachs is finishing his term uh, next month, and the, uh, our next president uh, will, uh, in all likelihood, be uh, Julian Boyd, who, uh, who is uh, on the ballot for that office uh, uncontested. Uh, the uh, the executive board makes the uh, the decisions uh, as to uh, the contract negotiations and and uh, and other uh, activities and operations of, of the union. How many members do you have? Did I miss that? We we have uh, about eleven hundred active uh, directors and choreographers uh, as members. Um, we have a, I don't know what the number is of, of those who might be on honorable withdrawal. In other words, people who. Uh, who are not working in, in the profession at the time and, and therefore take the honorable withdrawal option. Uh, about 60% of our what, membership... What is honorable withdrawal? What does that it, mean? Can you it, come it, back in? You can come back in, yes. Without it, paying it simply, it? It's, you don't have to pay another initiation fee, and, and it means okay. that your dues are suspended at, that, at the time that you're on honorable withdrawal. But you still have all the benefits? Uh, well, there wouldn't be any benefits in that you're you're not working. And, no, but what about sickness or um, you have, do you the, cover that? Uh, we do have a pension and health plan, but the, both are based upon the contracts that, that you do. Obviously, the pension plan is there, and if you've you vested in the pension plan, uh, it, at the point you're ready to retire, whatever went in during those years you worked is going to benefit you. Uh, in terms of the health plan, uh, one would, would be covered based upon employment over the past six-month period. So if one were not working, they, they wouldn't benefit from the health plan. Uh, we do have a monthly newsletter, and, and that also goes to our honorable withdrawal people and members and associates. Um, the, uh, you, you, you asked another question first, and I've forgotten what it was now. The benefits, the benefits under our contracts, uh, in addition to, to pension and, and health and uh, minimum uh, fees and minimum royalties are uh, such clauses as uh, as the right of first refusal should something happen uh, uh, with, with this production in terms of it being produced uh, again. Uh, um, property rights, which is to say that the director or the choreographer owns their direction or their choreography. Uh, the producer has the right to, to use it in this production as long as the royalties are paid for it, but it, it belongs to the individual. Uh, arbitration in the case of a dispute so that one doesn't have to go to the expense of hiring an attorney and suing uh, the union has a process that they have agreed to with the employer and we go through an arbitration process to resolve uh, any disputes.
Oh, what, what I also started to tell you about the membership is that about 60% of the membership resides in the greater New York metropolitan area, about 20% in the, in the Los Angeles area, and the rest are scattered across the country. Uh, we very much have and, and, and feel a responsibility uh, to a national membership mm -hmm. and have been working uh, to find ways of, uh, of uh, better fulfilling that responsibility. Our, our contracts range from Broadway and off-Broadway to the regional theaters, stock and dinner theaters, and small professional theaters around the country. Um, Harvey, I don't think you've explained what the League of American Theaters and Producers yes, are. They're well. sort of the biggest mother of all the unions, aren't That's they? A, I put it that way. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and so, would you, would you uh, explain <laughs> what this is? Mind, <laughs> no, I hear you say that. Uh, well, the League was founded in uh, 1930. The League is a trade association whose members consist of producers, theater owners and operators, and those who present our shows around the country. Uh, we view Broadway as a very long street that is not only in New York, but goes to San Diego and Seattle. And in fact, any city, major city you go to, there's a Broadway there. And there's a theater because a city without a theater is a city without a soul or a heart. Uh, we are responsible for many functions for the industry, for man the management side. Uh, our organization negotiates contracts with 16 different unions, crafts, and guilds. There is never a time during the working year when we are not in negotiation. Uh, we are responsible for the industry's government relations, uh, research and statistics, uh, marketing efforts. We have a marketing department, uh, publications department. We publish many uh, books, as do these unions. We have a, a uh, our own newsletter. Uh, we publish a, a five times a year a national subscription newsletter which just started this year. There are a million subscribers around the country uh, to Broadway series in various cities who are now getting a newsletter telling them what's going on on Broadway. Uh, we also have the uh, honor of uh, co-presenting the Tony telecast with the American Theatre Wing among our functions. Uh, we have you know, educational programs. Uh, we're dedicated to promoting the welfare of the industry. And uh, as co-signers uh, to minimum basic agreements, uh, it's always the feeling that a negotiation is, is successful when both parties uh, are very unhappy or very happy, I would say. <laughs> and uh, there's a give and take, and uh, we live by these agreements. Uh, as I pointed out, there hasn't been a work stoppage in a, in a good long time in this industry. I think it speaks well for the... Uh, uh, for the collective bargaining process. Do members uh, pay dues? Members, members pay dues. Uh, the people are only entitled to membership in the League if they are the owners or operators of a first-class theater uh, in New York or around the country. Uh, two, if they are the general partner. Shows are structured sometimes as limited partnerships. The general partner, the key producer, the decision maker, is eligible for League membership. Uh, uh, that's further defined as the person who is either in artistic or financial control of the production. Uh, presenters of our shows around the country are eligible. Annual dues are $500, and no dues are paid during the year unless that producer or theater operator is, present, is represented by a playing week, in which case uh, the, the weekly dues for a playing week are $250 each for the theater and for the produ production playing in that theater and an additional amount of money called a special projects assessment that enables us to do the work 
that we do. Uh, for example, uh, uh, that some of that special projects money funds the Broadway Alliance, in which uh, to which the league contributed its initial funding of two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. That amount of money is large. It's six hundred dollars a week and has been continually since nineteen seventy five when the special projects assessment was approved by the membership. Six hundred dollars a week for a musical and four hundred dollars a week for a play. Uh, but we are not a large organization in numbers. Uh, we have at the present time, roughly 350 members, most of whom I'm going to be seeing tomorrow at our annual meeting. Harvey, let me ask you a question. Yes. When you deduct uh, monies for membership in the league and also for these special projects, um, now that there are pool arrangements uh, with uh, directors and, uh, and uh, writers, uh, and they take the, their money depends now on weekly operating profit, uh, are those numbers uh, uh, deducted before profits are arrived at? And if they are, uh, aren't those dues being paid for by directors and authors as well? Well, I'm not sure exactly how it works out internally with each production. On the other hand, I think what we do benefits the entire industry and then it goes to the benefit of writers and actors and directors. You mean league, dues of the league uh, accrues to the benefit of writers and actors and directors? I'm not directors? talking about dues. Dues are not, uh, you know. They're not? Check your contract. Okay. Well, now, Alex is so interesting. He said the average salary of an actor. What is the average salary of the 350 members in your league, Harvey? 65% uh, of our members didn't make a nickel in uh, calendar year 1991. Mm -hmm. What about the other 35? Uh, about 4% made over $100,000. Well, it's interesting, though, about your membership because the whole concept of producing has changed on Broadway. Somewhere back 15 years ago or, or less, uh, instead of there being a general partner over the title, uh, somebody figured out, I remember who it was and when it was, but there's no point going into it, uh, that you could attract money by giving um, those people who, inve who invested money uh, credit over the title. If you've seen the recent Tony Award, uh, you'll notice that when they announce the winning producer, uh, 67 people walk up. Uh, it takes longer. One of the reasons the show runs over each week, uh, each year, is because to list the nominations simply of the producers of each show and musical uh, takes the better part of the evening. Peter, can, Those I, can I make another, another point? Uh, sure. I mean, I, mean, I want to go off on an entirely different subject, if you don't mind. You want to finish it up? And yeah, I just think that it's become uh, 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 difficult uh, yeah. to know who you're dealing with now uh, when you're dealing with a producer. It's getting more and more difficult. Uh, uh, about these producers, if you talk about five or six producers, just tell me very quickly what does posting a bond mean and who does it? Well, we, we have a whole bond system. It's one of the great contributions that uh, that equity established, and it really comes from equity, and has uh, been copied by everybody else. Uh, and that and it goes back to those early exploitation days when when actors uh, were were stiffed, and uh, before equity will issue contracts to producers who then sign the actors to do a particular production, we must get money in advance, which is called the bond, covering two weeks salary, plus two weeks pension, plus two weeks health, and per diem if the company is touring. And we can use that money to pay out of bond, which is another way of saying pay the actors salary and get them back into New York or wherever, where, wherever they're supposed to go. And, and uh, that's the whole bonding system. And it's not uncommon, actually, for us to have to pay out of bond. We're going to questions now, and there's not enough time to continue what you've been talking about. So we'll just, you'll have to come back together again, all of you. Be friends and come back together. <laughs> Good afternoon. I'm Rafe Warshaw. I'm vice president of the theatrical wardrobe.
Union and granting that constant accommodations and improvements must be made in any labor or personal relationships. I wonder why we're constantly hearing the backstage unions uh, being accused of choking the theater when so many of their members, through their expertise and through their creativity, are helping to make this thing happen along with everybody else. Are they not also entitled to a fair salary? Who wants to answer that? Absolutely. No question of it. The same problems that beset actors and directors and writers beset all the other uh, people who work in the theater. Um, the, uh, the costs that have gone up uh, are not entirely union-related. Uh, obviously, there, there have been uh, advances in, uh, in, in, in various union participations, and also there have been work rules that, that have been very protective of, of perhaps what needs protecting. The, the, the main villains are, are the purchasing, basically, and the other surrounding things around the theater. Why it costs to get a shirt made uh, within the theater for an actor costs $180 when you can buy the same shirt retail in a department store for $40 is a mystery. And uh, it's, a, it's not about uh, those things, sets and props and moving and loading in and loading out and, and all the rest of it uh, has made it almost, uh, almost uh, uh, impossible to, to do it. It's not, it's not entirely the union's Thank fault. You. And if it is the union's fault, all of the unions have to share in that collectively. Yeah. Could, could I uh, yes. give a, a little more to that answer as well? Uh, I think it, it also has to do with sacrifice. Uh, the industry has changed radically in the, in the past several years. There used to be uh, a rather established system of uh, a, a, a director, for instance, being engaged by by a producer who had uh, acquired the rights to a play, and uh, the director was was paid a fee and went out of town with that play, was paid royalties as that play was developed out of town and then came into New York. That system isn't in place anymore. Uh, it is very rare nowadays for a producer to uh, to engage a director up front. Uh, and, and indeed to, to pay the, the first class fee up front and then go through a developmental process. What's happening now is that uh, very often a director will work with the playwright with, without a producer even being on the scene yet, and therefore there's not an employer. Uh, and, but then when the, when the producer comes along, uh, often the, a workshop will take place, which means no money. Uh, and then when it finally is produced, it might be produced in... Uh, in a regional theater where there are no royalties, and then when it finally comes into New York, we've agreed to, uh, rather than to take royalties, as I said earlier, we've agreed to uh, take a percentage of, uh, of a profit pool. So what that means is, and that's just not true of just the director, a lot of people have been affected by this, and that means that the, the earnings of, of these creative artists uh, have been sharply reduced. And when we see that, that there are other people in the theater who may not have been asked to take the same sacrifice, uh, or who have been unwilling to do so, uh, there is a disparity. Why, why is it down across the line? Why aren't they all asked to make the same sacrifice? Well, that's that's up to the producers who negotiate contracts. Yes, but to be fair about it, David, the level of sacrifice has to be in keeping with the with the possibility of, of success. Uh, when you ask uh, dressers or 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 grips or carpenters or electricians to make sacrifice, they're against what? 
the, against windfall, there is no windfall. There's just employment. Now, That's employment true. in itself is, is, is certainly wonderful, but the fact is that they, to, for them, for a playwright to sacrifice to take nothing until opening night is not unusual, but he stands to make a fortune or make nothing. That's his gamble. He's taken that gamble. He could go to Hollywood, make no gamble, and, 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 and get no pride. But the fact is that he's chosen this. That's his, that's his job. But you can't ask a dresser or a wardrobe person or whatever to make sacrifice uh, against no windfall unless you give him a share of the profits, which, incidentally, comes back to our alliance. That's what the alliance is about. That's part of what the alliance so, is about. So, so that's not fair. To, you know, the director stands to make a great deal of money. No, I was just saying that the alliance has incorporated this concept of profit participation as one of, the, one of its tenets because people are taking sacrifices, and that's equally true uh, of, of people who would normally not be asked to reduce it to their wages. Could I ask, go around, why do you think the Broadway Alliance hasn't been successful so far? It's such a wonderful idea, and he, you said that it has not worked as well as you hoped it would. Why is that? One of, one of the big reasons is we, we had limited to three specific theaters, um, uh, and obviously not the most desirable theaters. Uh, one of the, the key things in, in the whole artistic mix is the decision about what is the best theater for this play. What, what, where is this play going to play better? And it, by, by limiting it to those three theaters, uh, we, we eliminated one of the important options that the, the, the producer, the writer, and, and the director have in making their decision about where to play. Some of, some of the research that came down, curiously enough, indicated that the low price, the lower price, was viewed by the audience as a <laughs> cheap product, uh, ironically. So that, that, was, that seemed I to be one factor. And another that, factor, I think... I don't think, I think anybody think, will agree yeah. with you. Well, I'm just saying that's, no, that's one of the perceptions. I'm just saying one of, well, that's what some of the research... The class theater, which it wasn't. Right. No. I think another factor was that the budgets were limited to, uh, in, in terms of advertising, and that's been to some extent correct, but I think that's mm -hmm. the second factor. And, to be blunt about it, uh, I think the, the, the quality of the productions it, it at least one, had, had, had something, something to do with it. Well, the, uh, speak to that. Uh, Frank, Frank, Henry. I, Good. I, I think it was the plays. Yes. <laughs> Pardon me. I don't think, frankly, it was the plays. Well, yes, the of course plays. it was. Of course it was. He's been very quiet. He's the, been very good. The plays, were <laughs> <laughs> the plays were not that brilliantly chosen. I don't know what the uh, opportunity was. But I think that basically was the problem. I think uh, one of those plays had, had been successful with the audiences and conceivably with the critics. Uh, the Broadway Alliance would be very healthy now. I, let's put it on the proper perspective. Of course it was the plays that didn't succeed. But on the other hand, it did not attract the authors who are writing the important plays in America. The system did not attract them. Uh, I was very, very anxious that it should. But it's very difficult to do that because the authors have to believe that they can do better on Broadway in this system than they can off-Broadway. There are very, very few straight plays being done on Broadway now. A lot of that is because a lot of people don't want to invest in them because they don't see them as great financial uh, uh, properties. However, the most successful plays that have come along in the last five years that have all made film sales of enormous amounts of money, that have all gone on first-class tours, none of which came to Broadway. The idea is to attract those plays to Broadway. The Alliance did not successfully attract those plays to Broadway. And until they do, it's not going to succeed. It's What's the great thing about being on Broadway? Well, Tony Awards, moment. for one thing. <laughs> Tony Awards, for one thing. A lot more attention. 
than you're going to get anywhere else. I mean, I think that, that, that's one of the differences, actually, between the Dramatists Guild and, and equity in terms, of, right. in terms of bringing in more, more off-broad, bringing in the off-Broadway theaters to, part of, to, to being part of the Tony system. And, and equity has consistently taken the position, and I'm a member of the Tony Administration Committee, and I've taken this position, that we want, we want the Tony Awards limited to Broadway. It's where the actors earn the most money. It's where they get the mo most attention. It's the productions which get the grandest play across the country. And to expand, to expand the Tony Awards to off-Broadway, albeit ho however good they may be, and, and in many instances better than what's on Broadway, is, is really unfair competition between off-Broadway theaters and Broadway theaters. You cannot deny that there's a commercial quality, however much excellence is a factor, but there's certainly a commercial quality to winning a Tony Award. And it seems to us that it's really unfair competition to have an actor earning $200 a week on 13th Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenue competing for an award for an actor earning $900 with $10,000 on Broadway. And that, that certainly has been we're, we're one difference between the, the sides. We believe it's for quality of work. Now, the fact is that, oh, that, that right, we okay. do believe it's for quality of work done. And the fact is that you can go on protecting the Broadway arena for straight plays until finally you can't fill the category anymore. I doubt very seriously whether you could fill it this year. Uh, how many plays have opened on Broadway so we're in October? How well, many it's, very it's very early. It's very early yet. Year. You might fill the category, I'm but sure what you're, will. What you're headed sure for will. is a situation that every straight play that opens on Broadway it's is going to be nominated because they have to fill the category. And, and, and it I'm starts insane. to cheapen the award. The award becomes cheapened every year that you can't fill the category, and therefore simply to open gets you a nomination. When in fact, so the plays clear. that win the Pulitzer Prize. That's Prizes, not so. It's, it's, this year's Pulitzer Prize play has, has not been to New York and may not be to New York. Yes, but Peter, Peter that's because it's eight Peter, hours long. Peter, there's <laughs> no law. There is no law that you. Nicholas have to Nickleby fill was eight hours long. Categories. It didn't stop it from coming. Nobody listens. Yes, the Kentucky Chronicles is eight hours long. And so was Nicholas Nickleby. Yes, but that was Dickens too. <laughs> it, Nick, Dickens never won uh, the Pulitzer Prize. Well, let's have a question from the audience. <laughs> oh, you want to get off the hook quickly? No, it's not a question. Get I, no, but, but Peter and I don't want to monopolize the conversation. I don't know what I want to ask, ask it now. You don't remember anymore. <laughs> I remember it. Okay. So going back to the alliance, um, earlier you were discussing the sacrifices that all of your theater guilds and unions and organizations had made in order to um, bring straight plays into, Broadway. well, hopefully Broadway. My question to you is, have the advertisers uh, in any way agreed to cut costs yes, to, to make that possible yes. since theater coming into New York is very important yes. to the city not financially? Just the, not just the advertisers, but uh, even the lawyers, lawyers, uh, general managers, yeah. uh, all, of, all of the support people. You want to say anything? Yeah, the New York Times uh, gives Alliance plays reduced advertising rates, but as David said, lawyers, accountants, uh, general managers are all taking reduced rates. All the, the real creative. Sign yeah, painters. The feeling, the feeling was, the, the feeling was, and it kind of goes back to, to what Isabel was asking earlier in a way, that the, the reason the Alliance has been able to work in, in terms of crafting a new idea was the concept of equality of sacrifice, I mean, that, which is always the premise for these sorts of arrangements. So when, when a producer says, well, the actor has got to take less money because that's going to way the play is going to happen, the answer that comes back is that there must be equality of sacrifice, and usually there is silence on the other end. One of the problems of playwrights in bringing their plays to the Alliance is that they play off Broadway in 300-seat houses, and they're full every night. 
They come to Broadway in a thousand-seat house. There are 500 people there, 200 more than they could get off Broadway. People come into theaters, look around, see 500 empty seats, and they all say the same thing. If I'd known I could get tickets, I wouldn't have come. <laughs> now, no, now this, is the syndrome, this is the syndrome of success in the theater, right. and nothing turns audiences right. off more and discourages right. success, financial success, than empty seats in a theater. We'll they, fill them. We all, we all know there's an infinite number of people who do not wish to go to the theater. If you, as Goldman said, if they don't want to go, you can't stop them. I think the, the, the real fault there is in the producer who wants the Tony Award. I think that has become both the carrot and it's become the hatchet for theater Couldn't as agree well. More, Isabel, because there are so many wonderful plays off Broadway that should remain right there. They're in a small house or a small play, and there's a gem there. They happen to be the major American plays written. But the producer says, no, I want to be eligible for a Tony, and I want to have a larger house, and it shouldn't be opened up to Let's be frank about it. I've won an OB. I've won an Out of Critics Circle Award. Nobody knows what for. Fabulous things. But if I'd won a Tony, I would have been introduced today. You you know, I mean, let's be frank about it. The Tony is still the thing that everybody wants to to win. I'm glad to hear that. I'm going to have to close this because we could go on and on. But uh, the Tony Award, it's very interesting that the American Theatre Wing founded to honor a woman named Antoinette Perry, who believed greatly in the craft of theater and, and in preparing for the theater. And the award, as I have said over and over again, is given for those that have achieved this distinction in the theater, in their craft. I don't think at that time she ever believed, or any one of the people that, that created the award at that time, ever believed that it would become such an economic factor in the theater. But it has, and, and I'm pleased, and I don't know of anything else that uh, has created that much economic value as well as creative value as well as the pleasure of live theater. I'm Isabel Stevenson. This seminar has come to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, and it is but one of our series of seminars on working the theater. Today is on the unions and guilds. Thank you so much for being here. Which is the 